welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi everyone, this week on the show, I wanted to go back to talking about the importance of dental health in our children. And for that, I'm interviewing Dr. Stacy Whitman. Dr. Stacy Whitman is on a mission to create a cavity-free world. She's the founder of No Pull Kids Dentistry, where she takes a whole body holistic and functional approach with her patients. Her dentistry practice is grounded by science and powered by love. Dr. Stacy attended Tufts University School of Dental Medicine and worked as a general dentist for two years and went on to earn a certificate in pediatric dentistry. She's always been passionate about children's sleep and airway health, focusing her research in residency on how to improve airway assessments and diagnostic tools in the pediatric population. In 2019, she founded No Poor Kids Dentistry with a mission to practice a whole body approach to dentistry. Dr. Stacy dreams of a world without cavities and believes in motivating parents and families to join her as a team, keeping their children healthy and thriving with small, manageable daily changes. So let's just get into the episode for today. Hi, Dr. Stacy. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, thank you, Momina. I really appreciate being able to, to share some of my love and passion with your audience. Yeah. Um, so for a lot of listeners, I think the whole idea of a holistic dentist is something completely new. So would you want to get into what that means? Absolutely. Um, It is confusing. There's so many different names. There's holistic dentist, biological dentist, integrative dentist, functional dentist. So, you know, I really consider myself uh, a functional dentist with the umbrella of holistic. And so what does that mean? Um, You know, I was trained very traditionally, but I had an aha moment um, in my career several years ago where I realized I just didn't feel like I was making a difference. Um, I was only treating end-stage disease and I wasn't really helping with true prevention, like getting upstream and really educating parents about what's happening in their children. Um, And so, you know, functional dentistry, the main focus is really root causes. So we do want to understand why is a body going through dis-ease or, you know, um, having issues that um, normally like kind of more traditional conventional medicine will just say, this is what you have, take this medication and see you later. Um, And that just didn't resonate with me. So we look for root causes. We also focus um, really on non-toxic materials that are biocompatible and believing in the body's innate ability to heal itself if given um, the opportunity to do so. And we talk a lot about airway health and breathing and sleep and how that's so foundational for not only oral health, but systemic health. And we also are really trying to educate about the importance and the connection between oral health and systemic health. And that if you have issues going on in your mouth, they don't just stay there um, and it's all interconnected. And we are learning more and more about that even in the research. 
like with our gut microbiome and our oral microbiome and how those influence each other. Um, for me personally too, I, I like to focus a lot on planetary health and sustainability. Um, and particularly, you know, holistic dentistry can be considered really looking at the whole patient or the whole child, you know, because I am a pediatric dentist. And that means looking beyond the tooth. So I think many dentists, and I was trained this way, and I practice this way too, we're just so laser focused on the tooth and the mechanics of the tooth and fixing that tooth. But we're not necessarily thinking about that that tooth is connected to a, a human and a, a, a body and a child with a family with parents that are worried and there's emotional health involved and there's financial health and you know all of these things so it's really looking uh, more big picture and much beyond the mouth yeah you know it's it's amazing on this podcast we've been talking about um functional medicine and just integrative health but you know when you look when you think about a dentist you always think you know it's the mouth and then nothing else. I know. And it's so cool that, that, you know, you talk about all of it being connected, including emotions and stress and, you know, what yes. everything else that's going on outside. How does that, yes. how does that affect your, you know, starting off with like your mouth health and then from, from there going on to like your whole body? Well, there's so many ways. I mean, first of all, just speaking of airway health, you know, mouth breathing is becoming a silent epidemic as our sleep disorders and, and sleep apnea and things of that nature. So we do know more and more children are having uh, myofunctional or airway issues. And unfortunately, you know, we, we, they're showing anthropologically and evolutionarily that we are, we're, our skulls are shrinking, we're getting smaller, our airways are getting smaller. So just to start from an airway perspective, children who are breathing through their mouths, um, that can lead to a slew of systemic issues, including, you know, it appears like many children might have ADHD or behavioral issues. Um, it can dry the mouth out and lead to cavities too. So that's what we're seeing in the mouth. Um, and so a lot of kids are diagnosed with ADHD and put on medications when really it's an airway or a sleep quality issue. But there are other things too, like, you know, if you are brushing your teeth or flossing your teeth and they bleed, your gums bleed, that's a sign of inflammation. And we're learning more and more, you know, inflammation is the root of all disease, essentially, stress and inflammation. So it, it doesn't just stay, that inflammation just isn't isolated to your gum tissue. It's very likely that your entire body is being compromised, um, having to fight that constant day-to-day -day chronic inflammation. And that can build up over time. It can lead to periodontal disease. We're learning more and more the links of oral health to cardiovascular disease, rheumatoid arth arthritis, um, pregnancy outcomes, you know, low birth weights or um, uh, early deliveries, even miscarriages, sadly, have been linked to some periodontal bacteria, Alzheimer's, you know, and I believe this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, things that we can see in the mouth, you know, we can generally get a good feeling if the child might be vitamin D deficient, you know, if they're, if they're getting a lot of cavities and parents are doing everything right and they're, and they're breathing properly, it, it could be a vitamin D deficiency. So a lot of times we'll send them to their naturopathic doctor or functional medicine doctor for a vitamin D test. You can see iron deficiency in the mouth, zinc deficiencies, vitamin C deficiencies. You can see potentially if a patient has celiac disease or gluten intolerance. Um, oftentimes before 
the GI some signs and symptoms have arisen. So there's quite a lot, you know, B, B12 deficiency. Um, so it really is all interconnected. And the bummer is that dentistry and medicine are separate and they have been, and there's a whole history to that. And I'll spare you the nerdy backstory, but it's not ideal. And, and it's, it's been ingrained in us as a society that the mouth is separate from the body because there are two different professions. You know, there's medical doctors and then there's dentists and it's really confusing. Um, and so one of my main personal lifetime goals is to get the mouth back into the body and try to work more with, and it will have to be functional medicine providers um, to really work collaboratively to really take care of our patients. Because even still, you know, I'm in the Institute of Functional Medicine right now, um, and it's an amazing program, and I'm learning so much. And they do speak about the mouth, but only a teeny tiny bit. And you know, they're they're having patients come in with all these chronic systemic issues. And a lot of times, you know, I'll just say, did you guys look in their mouth? And, you know, it's just quiet. No, we didn't. And, you know, are there root canals, mercury fillings, periodontal disease, gum disease? You know, there's just so much. So um, it, it is all interconnected. And um, it, the, the movement is going to come from patients. It's not going to come from our institutions. And so that is why I created my platform because especially moms are powerful and I just want to spread this education and message so that you feel empowered to take care of your children, um, but also to help, you know, create more of an integrative approach with our providers too, because that's what's going to change our providers. It's going to be coming from the patients. Yeah. And you know, I, that hits home for me. Cause I think one of the things that a lot of um, practitioners now are telling clients and patients that are coming to them that, you know, we're just not a one-stop solution. You need to have a whole team on board. Um, yeah. and that includes having someone like you on their team to make sure that they have a look inside the mouth to see what's going on there. Cause oftentimes it is the mouth that is the first um, point of kind of, you know, there is something going on in your body. It's yes. never that the rest can, of the body. Well, you can see it. You can see your mouth. You can't see your your gut or your intestines or your brain. You know, you can, we can't open up your body and look inside, but you can in the mouth. And that's kind of a blessing. I mean, we, we can tell so much. It, it, also your tongue, like is your tongue coated? There's a lot that goes back to Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. And I really do think we should be listening to some of these root and original ancestral and ancient practices. Um, I do believe in it. I absolutely believe in research-based practice and science-based practice, but I think the, a blend is absolutely necessary. And again, I really do believe um, the human body is um, miraculous and it, it wants to heal. We want to thrive if we're given the opportunity and we can come up um, with solutions, you know, by figuring out what is the cause of issues. Yeah, you know, it's a fun fact. I did my training with IFM as well. And so one of the things that they teach you right in the beginning is just take, sticking your tongue out and yeah. watching for scalloping, right? Yep. It was yep. so amazing because I just started like going around like my entire family. They like, got my son to do it, my husband, all of us. I'm like, do we have scalloped tongues? Like, it was a completely new concept. Yeah. But, I mean, if, if it was something that parents knew about, right, mm -hmm. they could keep checking that out for their kids or themselves. 
Yes, and that yes, and that, so uh, that often can mean it's an airway issue that the, the tongue space is too small or the jaws are too small and that's why the scalloping is happening and it, it's becoming really prevalent. Again, our, our jaws are getting smaller. I mean, that is being documented. So um, yeah, that's cool. I didn't know you did IFM, that's really awesome. Yeah, it was, um, and so, you know, you talked about looking into the mouth and then looking for deficiencies in like iron and vitamin D or mm -hmm. even zinc and B12, how can parents look for these things? So I know that it might be a little bit more complicated than just, you know, finding answers, but what kind of signs and symptoms can they pick up on? Sure. I'll, I'll give you just some basic ones. I mean, obviously always ask your provider, try not to self-diagnose. You know, the internet is terrifying. It's beautiful and terrifying. And you can go down rabbit holes that I don't always recommend, especially to moms. Um, but for example, if your child's getting a lot of like cracking around the lips or chapped lips, that can be a sign of zinc deficiency, sometimes collagen deficiencies too. Um, a lot of bleeding gums, you know, even with proper hygiene, that can be a sign of vitamin C deficiency, you know, like scurvy, we remember that. Um, if the gums or the insides of the cheeks are really pale, and that does take some experience to be able to compare, but that can be a sign of iron deficiency, a red burning tongue. Um, it's, it's called pernicious anemia. That can be a sign of uh, B deficiencies, specifically B12 or B6. Um, constant ulcerations in the mouth. That's a big sign for me. Either there's a product that the patient is using like sodium lauryl sulfate that's triggering ulcerations or it could be a sign of a gluten intolerance or celiac disease, ulcerative colitis, something like that too. Um, so those are some of the quick ones. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great for parents to just have a sense that, you know, there's so much more that goes into your mouth. Um, I've often seen, uh, there is a greater push now of getting your kids in dentist chairs earlier and earlier, but yeah. some parents do kind of delay it too much and that, that can be a problem. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, so the most national recommendations now are by the first tooth or the age of one. But what happens is we're so busy that you have every intention of bringing your child in, but all of a sudden they're two and you think, oh my gosh, I, you know, whoa, we need to get a dental appointment or three even. Um, and if that's your situation, it's okay, don't stress, just bring them into the dentist as soon as possible. But personally, I like to see six month olds, eight month olds. And here's the reason. Um, number one, I want that child to get desensitized and to get comfortable in the dental environment. But again, it's upstream. So I wanna educate that family about diet, nutrition, hygiene, and breathing um, because they're not going to get it anywhere else. The, you know, the pediatricians, they're, they're so busy with so many other things. They don't have time to be educated about oral and dental health. You know, they, we really should be seeing a, a dentist early on. I'm also looking for tongue tie, lip tie, um, significant jaw discrepancies or growth, facial growth discrepancies, you know, craniosacral imbalances, things of that nature too, that very often go undiagnosed. And so um, I just think education is power. And so I think the sooner you can get your child into the dentist, especially one that might be more focused on some of these things specifically, 
it will help. You know, we spend a lot, part of functional dentistry too is it's with medicine. I mean, it's just a whole different model, practice model. Like you spend a lot of time with your provider, which is lovely. You know, a lot of allopathic or traditional settings, you, you know, you see your provider for three to five minutes or kind of in and out. And we talk a lot at my office. I mean, there's a lot of talking. I have dozens of handouts and educational sheets that I've made um, because I, again, I really want to provide the families with information and education because if they, we all want what's best for our children. No one's intentionally giving their kids cavities. You know, that's why the shaming and this guilt that some providers put on parents, it really upsets me. It's, it's a fault of the medical and dental system when I see that. We haven't taught that family how to take care of their children properly. Um, and so I want to empower parents to do that through, through the educational process. Yeah, and especially like you said, you know, you can have cavities from mouth drying, right? From, from like Absolutely. mouth breathing. Yes. What kind of shame can a parent have from that? It's not like they were feeding them, you know, juice and soda and processed food. It, and they probably ate, a completely clean diet and yet yeah. that still happened and then this whole idea of like oh my god you know what did you do to your child it's just totally it also like I think inhibits that the parents from going back into the, a dentist's office very often right they're like oh what are you gonna say to me well and that's part of the holistic functional approach too it's we're working as a team okay so the like the condescending tone or, you know, no one likes to be told what to do. You can't tell a patient, you need to do this, this, and this, and, and point, you know, wag the finger and, and you can't do this and you can do this and do it now. And no, no human responds well to that. Everyone needs to come to these decisions and choices on their own. And that's why just supporting and giving information is so critical. And I have found through that, and there's so much psychology involved, but through that, I've had the best outcomes with my families. They're really motivated and they're, they're, they're excited and their kids are excited and we, we make change. And that, that is, again, what prompted me into this path is the way I was practicing before, I just wasn't really making change. Yes, I was removing a cavity from a tooth and filling it, but you know, who cares at the end of the day, that's not really creating a global movement that's bettering, you know, human society in my, in my mind. So um, yeah, I just think, you know, parents, we just all want what's best for our kids. And we just need, we need to be taught what to do. And so, you know, you talked about wanting to have kids come in as early as six to eight months. When should parents start brushing their teeth? Uh, as soon as teeth erupt, which is crazy, but so that that's generally six months old. Now that can mean you're just using a little silicone finger brush, or you're just wiping with a little cloth, or they make xylitol wipes. Um, but again, it's there's many reasons. You're desensitizing your child. You're getting yourself into a routine. Like this is what we do. Um, and then also, as soon as a tooth comes in, it can get cavities. So. Um, I even often recommend you, you can start desensitizing your child even before teeth come in just by massaging the gums or wiping the gums or wiping the tongue. Um, so yeah, and then flossing, you know, my big passion, if you follow me on my platforms, I talk a lot about flossing. The reason is most cavities I see, and by that, I mean, it's pretty close to 100%. 
are in between teeth. And it, parents get very, very frustrated because they bring their children in at the age of one, like they're supposed to, and they go in every six months. And then now the child is finally emotionally ready to be cooperative, to take x-rays. And that's usually around three and a half or four years old. It really depends on the child. So we take x-rays for the first time. The parents think they're doing everything right. And the children have eight cavities. And this is really common, the eight cavity thing. And it's because they're all in between the back molars um, where the dentist can't see them during a clinical exam. And that is why x-rays are important, um, you know, as indicated for the bio-individual. Um, so flossing as soon as teeth touch. And you can even just start playing around. I do recommend those little floss picks. It's just easier for everyone. You can even just start playing around with them, um, not knowing you don't really need to be doing it, but again, just to get everyone in the routine and habit. What I did, this was my hack as a mom, um, I did everything on the changing table. So I had, you know, the top drawer of the changing table was diapers, diaper creams, all that stuff. And then I had toothbrush, toothpaste, flossers right there. And so we did it every morning and every night. Um, and it, it's quality over quantity. You don't need to drag it out and make it this big production. But I do love when parents can lay patients back. There, you know, there's a reason your dentist lays you back. It's ergonomically easier to see into the mouth and to see what's going on and see what you're doing. So you're not doing it blind or you're not missing maybe an area that's a little suspicious. So try to lay your children back and do it. I, I, my girls are five and seven and I still lay them back um, generally in their bedroom on a beanbag or their bed. Some children really cannot tolerate being laid back. Very often it's when they have airway issues. Um, and so, you know, feel it out, but I, I would like, I like parents to try that. And if not, we kind of, we re-strategize, um, but that's what worked well for me. Yeah. At what age can we get them to start? So for kids to independently start brushing, right? Cause it, they won't really get everywhere. Totally. So this is not based on any science, just my 15 years of clinical experience, but I found in, um, generally my rule at my office is until children are 10, so I say double digits, you need a grown up helping you. Um, but this is what we will do. So for sure, toddlers, I really want parents doing it morning and night for them. But then there's this transitional period. So when kids are like seven, eight, nine, they really want independence. And so what I suggest is allow them to brush their teeth on their own in the morning. You know, mornings are crazy anyway. So just have them go do it. You have no idea what's happening. That's okay. I'm not so worried about morning brushing. Um, but it's the nighttime that's critical because that's when we've been eating food all day and foods impacted down between our teeth and the bacteria have been growing all day. So they can always do it first, but then I say a parent spot checks, um, generally until about 10 and it is, it's, you know, ergonomically, it's really hard to floss on your own. Children don't quite understand it. They rush through it. Um, their dexterity isn't ideal. And so, yeah, you, generally until middle school is my recommendation. Yeah. And what about toothpaste, right? There's, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot on the market right now, but then there's also a lot of talk of what type of toothpaste to use. Would you recommend? <sighs> so um, I generally recommend hydroxy appetite right now. Perhaps you've heard of it. And for those of you that haven't hydroxy appetite 
It's been around for decades and decades. Um, it's been used in other countries like Japan for forever. It's kind of blowing up in the United States and there's a lot of new research coming out to support it. But hydroxyapatite is what is essentially in our enamel naturally. It's, on, it's like a calcium derivative, think of it that way. So when your tooth undergoes an acid attack, calcium um, has been lost or hydroxyapatite has been lost. So hydroxyapatite in the toothpaste is replacing the missing hydroxyapatite in your teeth. I also really like it because it's safe to swallow. It's non-toxic. Um, I do personally have concerns with fluoride, particularly systemic fluoride. And um, I have a lot more of this on my Instagram page, but there are many studies. Um, if you go to the Fluoride Action Network, there's over 64 studies linking systemic fluoride um, accumulation to IQ and brain development issues in children. And again, I'm just, I like to look at the whole human, not just the teeth. So fluoride does work to strengthen and remineralize um, teeth, but it's at what cost? And I personally would choose brain development and brain health in our children over a few less cavities when it's not, we're not getting cavities due to a fluoride deficiency. It is due to our diet and it is due to our breathing. So if, again, if we can educate families on this, um, this is mostly all preventable. Like cavities are not in our destiny. They're really recent to humans. Um, 10,000 years ago, you look at ancestral human skulls, we did not have cavities. It's been since the uh, agricultural and industrialized revolutions when we started harvesting wheat and making flour and sugar and then processed foods. So if we can understand and educate on that, I mean, in my opinion, I just don't think we need fluoride. Um, some parents still choose to use topical and um, I personally still have concerns with that. You know, inevitably you are still absorbing some fluoride through your mucosa and your children are swallowing some. And it's not one or two exposures that I'm worried about, but it's the, it's the long-term accumulation day after day, week after week, year after year that concerns me. Um, and especially now that we have better options out there like hydroxyapatite, which the research is showing works just as well as fluoride. And there's some indication to show it actually is performing better than fluoride. I just think personally, it's a no brainer for me. And that's what I recommend to patients. Do you have a brand that you like? Yeah, I generally am recommending Risewell or Boca. And the reason is there's a couple. Number one, I really love the owners of the companies. They're just good humans and they're in this for the right reason. So I believe in supporting companies that I, um, I trust their ethics, if you will, but also be very careful. There's a lot of hydroxyapatite products coming out, but the hydroxyapatite concentration is too low to be effective. So um, generally you want at least 15% uh, hydroxyapatite concentration in the toothpaste. And those are, those are the only two that I know of right now that have high enough concentrations. Um, most others have 10% or less. So, you know, everyone's catching wind that this is what people are buying, but just buyer beware. Cause it, you know, concentration really matters. Yeah. And I know, cause I've I've researched it myself that it's it's available internationally as well not everywhere but i think risewell has really good coverage for for most areas so you know cool. for anyone who's listening who's not in the states they do have a way to 
to access it off of their website. So yeah. And I think it will just, they're just going to grow. Those companies are just going to blow up. So they'll, they'll be global soon. You know, they will. For sure. And so, you know, when you were talking about fluoride, like I think we talked about it before coming on my heart just dropped because when I took my son to the dentist for the first time and then for subsequent um, visits, they insisted on doing fluoride washes, right? And then when you're talking about IQ and things like that, I'm just like, oh God, what just happened? Well, again, I don't like fear mongering. So, you know, one exposure, two exposures, 10 exposures, that's not what I'm concerned with. Um, topically speaking, but you know, just move, just, you only know what you know, when you know it. And that's how I love for all of us to believe that we, I don't want people to have anxiety or fear. Um, There are unfortunately environmental toxins everywhere and we can't eliminate all of them. It's just trying to reduce them as much as possible. And I do think that is one area where you can certainly reduce your exposure, particularly systemic. And the thing with systemic fluoride is that it is dose dependent. You know, every, every medication is dose dependent. So if you have water fluoridation, you cannot control the dose. So you may be an elite athlete and I don't drink any water. You're, you know, you're drinking hundred ounces a day and I drink none. So you're, you're just getting way too much fluoride. And then on top of that, you're getting it in your toothpaste and your rinse and at the dentist's office and you're cooking your food with it. So now it's in your soup and your pasta and processed foods and processed drinks. It's just everywhere. You know, it's really, we've gone way too far. The pendulum swung way too far. And so dental fluorosis is a real thing. And we're definitely seeing an uptick in that. They estimate, I think it's almost 40% of teenagers have some degree of dental fluorosis. And that's when we've received too much fluoride and it creates like modeling in the teeth. And sometimes it can even make the teeth more brittle. So it actually has a negative effect. So, you know, there's just so many red flags with it that it just, I, it's just such a hot topic. It really infuriates people. It's like talking religion or politics. So beware because I, it's, I get a lot of negative feedback on this. I just really want to have an open conversation about it. I don't understand why people hold on to it so strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think we, you will see in probably 10 or 15 years of big movement away from fluoride, but it's just going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. So for, for parents who are going into their dentist's office now, right, what kind of conversations can they have with their dentist who wants to, to push for a fluoride toothpaste or washes? Well, I, I really believe that if you have a medical provider, no matter if it's your dentist or doctor or anyone that is pushing you or bullying you or intimidating you or shaming you into anything, that you should find a different provider. That's not, that's again, you're supposed to be a team. That's not a team relationship. That's like a dictatorship. So, you know, I I think being open to having a conversation with your dentist about it would be my suggestion. I would go in knowing they're probably going to be very strongly opinionated about it, feeling confident that if you have, and I I want everyone to do their own research too. I mean, you really do have to make this choice yourself. So that's why maybe go to the fluoride action network and look at their NIH and PubMed research, you know, don't try to avoid the blogs and things that are opinion-based 
space, go to the science, but then you can just feel empowered to have an open conversation and make your decision for your child. And, you know, ultimately it's a preventative measure. It's not, I mean, this isn't life and death. Like you can choose not to do it. It's like, if it's like, if a a doctor said like you need to start taking vitamin D supplements and just harped at you over it because you weren't doing it, you know, it's, it's really confusing to me. I don't, I, I still try to understand it myself. So just be empowered, be an advocate for your child. It's, you know, you can very politely say, I would like to decline fluoride today. Um, let them know you're using hydroxyapatite, which is a remineralizer. And then if you feel that they're rude to you or shame you, I just would do a Google search and look for a different provider. There's many lovely providers out there. So you have a lot of choice there. Yeah. And so what kind of, I mean, you've talked about food and, you know, just lifestyle and nutrition. What kind of things should parents be looking out for? You know, what should they avoid? What should mm-hmm. they eat? How, what, what should their diet look like? Yeah. So the biggest culprits that many parents aren't aware of, you know, I think we are indoctrined with it's soda and candy. At least that's what I was taught as a kid, but it's so much more than that. Like, you know, I, most of us know that those things are not great for our oral or systemic health, but processed foods in general um, are not ideal for teeth. And I do, I do believe in balance, like the 80, 20 rule you've heard, but particularly things marketed to kids like crackers and pretzels and granola bars and chips and things like that. They're, they're not good for our teeth. When the flowers in those foods break down, they break down essentially to sugar And the pathogenic bacteria in our mouths, they thrive on sugar. If they don't have fermentable carbohydrates, they don't, they can't really exist. So if you're feeding them constant, these constant fermentable carbs, um, they're going to be really happy and they're going to flourish and they're going to replicate and they're going to cause problems. And what they do is they release acid. And the problem with crackers and chips and granola bars and things, they're really sticky and they stick in the grooves of your teeth and they get wedged down in between your teeth. And I encourage parents to think of this the next time you eat something like this. We will eat something and it will drive us as adults bananas. And we'll pick it out with our tongue and pick it out with our fingers and drink water and cleanse it. But kids don't do that. They will let it sit there all day long. And it's reducing the pH in our mouth is making our mouth more acidic and acid equals disease generally, right? And it certainly does for your teeth. So I really suggest um, offering those only in moderation. What I do at my home is I just don't buy them. They are not in our house. Now my girls, if they go to a birthday party or a friend's house, I'm, I'm not really anxious in that. I, I do want them to feel like they can make their own choices. Um, I try to educate my kids about why we don't love some of those things, but I just don't buy them. So trying to do more whole foods, you know, basically if, if it came from the earth, it's probably okay. If it came from a factory, it's probably not. So things out of bags and boxes. So, you know, meat and cheese and nuts and seeds and beans and fruit and veggies and pickles and olives and seaweed snacks 
hard boiled eggs, you know, all of those things are things I love. Um, and then trying to save the other things for just special occasions as best you can. Yeah. And then I think that also answers the bet, like the question that every parent has, like, what do I give them for a snack? Cause I think meal times are still okay. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, when you make a meal, you'll give it to your kid. Most likely it'll come from some elements of a whole food, unless it's coming, mm-hmm. unless it's mac and cheese, but you know, sure. it's the snacks where parents kind of struggle most time. Like, yeah, did I give them? And that's where the crackers and, and the bunny ears and mm-hmm. those things come out. Um, and I think it's great that, that you kind of mentioned things like cheese sticks and olives. It's There's so many options. It's just about almost retraining them to eat all of those things, right? Like if we give them things that are more addictive and, and that have like that underlying sugar added to it, they're mm-hmm. more likely going to only want that in the long run. Of course. And the food companies know that there's something called the bliss point. I mean, these are scientifically arranged to make us want more. I mean, that the, these companies are smart. So that's why you open a bag of Doritos. I, I'm guilty of it too. I cannot stop eating them. Well, that is all scientifically based, created in a lab where those food scientists are getting paid big bucks to make you unable to stop eating that. I mean, it's, it's kind of scary stuff, but yeah, you guys can look up the bliss point. It's a real thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand parents want grab and go things. That's why, yeah. Cheese sticks is sometimes it takes just a little more effort. Like you have to throw some olives in a little stasher bag or, a you know, Pyrex bag or something, but we do a lot of seaweed snacks. Um, Pickles, you know, apples are transportable when your kids are older and can eat apples, little cuties, you know, things of that nature, a hard boiled egg. Um, That's for the kids. Yeah, yeah, totally. I have more, you know, I I post a lot about snacks too, because parents ask a lot about that. Um, But also, you know, knowing too, your child doesn't always need constant snacks too. I mean, that's another thing that societally we've, it's like our kids always need to be eating and it's just not true. We don't always need to be eating, even our children. So it's important if they're hungry, you need to feed them because they're growing and they do require a lot of calories, but try to listen to their cues. And I I do like um, to get kids on a schedule that helps with oral health too. So every time we eat, I mentioned our mouth becomes acidic. So kids who are constantly snacking and grazing, particularly on processed foods, their cavity risk skyrockets because their mouth is just constantly bathed in acid. If we allow our mouth, it's usually about two to three hours to to just be, no food, just water the pH will naturally rise back up to a more neutral um, area. And that's our saliva does that. That's all part of our normal digestive process. And our saliva has calcium and phosphorus and all these beautiful enzymes that help remineralize our teeth. Um, But if we don't allow it a chance to do that, you're, you're just constantly, you know, imbalanced and eventually a cavity will form. So trying to eat um, every two hours, I recommend if a child has a snack, try to have it where they're sitting down. It's a, it's a served specific portion. So also they can learn mindful eating because that's something, you know, we're just on the go and just stuffing food in our face. And I'm so guilty of this. I have to work on it myself, but mindful eating is so important for digestion and gut health. Um, 
and, you know, not overeating, quite frankly. So, you know, trying to like an example is feed your child breakfast at 8 a.m., maybe a snack where they sit down and eat it to completion at 10 a.m., offer water, then lunch at noon, and then a snack at like two or three, and then dinner at five or six. And then they can get a bedtime snack too, if they need it. Some kids don't. If you're going to do a bedtime snack, I like it to be pretty heavy in protein that will keep your child um, full throughout the night and less likely to be waking up too. So again, meat or beans, um, nut butters or cheese sticks work really well and in, in for that bedtime snack. Yeah. And you know, you talked about mindful eating. It's that whole idea of teaching kids how to chew their food and so the mechanics of all of that, right? And how that helps almost open up their jaw, right? And Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. So um, jaw development is very much controlled through breastfeeding and also chewing mastication. And so unfortunately, so many kids now are on these pouches and purees and things of that nature that we're just not chewing like we're meant to be. And because of that, we're not getting full, proper muscular and jaw and airway development. And again, this isn't to say, you know, there's like the baby led weaving, weaning movement. And I'm very, I'm very pro that, but I don't want it to um, overwhelm people. So, you know, a blend is fine. Some purees, some real food, but if, if you are pregnant or just had a baby, I can't emphasize enough introducing whole foods, broad flavors, you know, early on, because you're going to create that palate and really trying to eliminate sugar. You know, Dr. Michael Gorin, um, he's a researcher that does so much work in child development and what sugar is doing to our kids. Essentially, he has a book called Sugar Proof Kids. He, through his research and, you know, his um, opinion too, is that really children under two should have no added sugar, zero. Yeah. We had him on the show, actually. So oh, you did. He's yeah, so great. I know. He's awesome. I think it's great. Um, and I hope that parents have that at the back of their mind. So when they're coming into this interview, like they they know already like a lot of the the harm that sugar can do. But yeah. it's amazing that, you know, the things that that the connections that every part of our body has to sugar, right? It's not just like the rest, it's, it's our mouth, it's our brain function, like you'd said earlier. One thing you mentioned was, um, was the bacteria in the mouth, right? It's something mm -hmm. that we never think about. We're thinking about the good and bad bacteria. We're always thinking about the gut, but there is a big, 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 huge colony of that in our mouth, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like mm -hmm. the whole microbiome. What can parents do for that? How can they sustain it and make it healthy to support the oral microbiome. Mm -hmm. I love the oral microbiome. So this is a great question. Um, first I would say nasal breathing is key. So when we mouth breathe, um, we are drying out our mouth, the pH lowers our, our healthy saliva is gone and the pathogenic bacteria just flourish. So trying to get to the root cause of that with either your pediatrician or your ear, nose and throat doctor, um, you know, an IBCLC, a pediatric dentist who's focused in airway health, it's really important uh, to support microbiome. The other thing is the whole foods, like we mentioned, you know, eat a rainbow, a, a 
diverse palate, uh, phytonutrients, but also fermented foods. So I do love trying to introduce some of these flavors to children early. Like I used to have my girls just sip on little shot glasses of sauerkraut juice. You could do kefir, make homemade pickles without the vinegar, like naturally fermented. Um, some parents do fermented cod liver oil. You know, there, there are options out there to get your natural fermentation in. Um, so that can help be very mindful of what products you're using. So many, and unfortunately, many dental products, toothpaste and rinses, they're doing more harm than good. Um, there are many toothpastes that are actually acidic. When you test their pH, they're acidic, which is terrible. So they're lowering, lowering our pH. Plus there's a lot of chemicals and preservatives and fillers and things that alter our microbiome also, including things like silver and essential oils and all these things that are marketed as antibacterial. And that's good if it's killing just the bad bacteria, but these aren't specific. They're not, you know, targeting just the, the pathogenic bacteria. So they're killing our and stripping our good bacteria too. So be very careful with that. Um, yeah, tongue scraping can really help too. I know a little tricky with, with young, young kids, but my girls love to tongue scrape now. They think it's a riot and, or just brushing your child's tongue. Um, that can really help too. Um, so those are some strategies there. And I think with, with the, the tongue scraping and tongue cleaning, the earlier you start off with that. So my son is four and a half now, and we've always done that with him. So yeah. he's at that point where he's so comfortable with it, that it, yeah. it's not something that he'll gag on or that he, we have to have a fight over. No, it's just something that they get used to if you start earlier. 100%. I mean, that's like with everything, right? So that's why for people listening that have older children, I don't want you to give up. It's just your, your tasks is going to be a little more challenging. But if you, again, are pregnant or just had a baby, all of these things, brushing, flossing, the foods you're giving, tongue scraping, all of it, if it's introduced early, it just doesn't become a big deal. It's just part of what you do. And so um, I can't emphasize this early intervention and prevention enough. This has been so amazing. I think the parents have so much, people listening have so much to learn and so much to implement now, right? It's just, don't get overwhelmed. Try to do that every little bit at a time, like you said, but just keep pushing forward um, with every little thing. Thank you so yeah. much. This oh, is thanks, Marina. Yeah, I really appreciate the space. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find this show more easily. Visit momentasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.